So if you go ahead, church, and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we are going to make our way from verses 1 to 26 this morning. So I hope you brought your lunch. All right. Uh, I'll begin reading here in verse 1, and we'll read through, and then we'll jump in. In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd. Because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat, if I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way, and some of them have a long distance. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? How many loaves do you have? Jesus said. Seven, they said. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, so they served them to the crowd They also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said, these were to be served as well. They ate and were satisfied. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 were there. He dismissed them, and he immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The, The Pharisees, verse 11, came and began to argue with him. So they're... They left that place, and they are now in front of the Pharisees. They demanded a sign from heaven to test Jesus. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them. Go back into the bo- got back into the boat and went on the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he gave them strict orders, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and not see? Do you have ears and not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls full, how many basketfuls of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they told him. And he said to them, don't you understand yet? And they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by his hand and brought him out to the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. All right. So, we jump in. That's a long bit. Uh, Thank you. If you're taking notes, you can turn to the back of your bulletin there. 
the question I want to put before us is how do you have spiritual depth in your life? The title of the sermon, as you can see there, is Gospel Deep, all right? And Jesus is taking his disciples gospel deep, all right? And why do you want to go gospel deep? We can start there. And it's very simple, okay? You want to go gospel deep because that is where you find meaning and satisfaction that your life was intended to know and experience, right? Without gospel depth, right, you are just living for this world, okay? That's the difference, right? Without gospel depth, you're just trying to, to th take things that are finite and draw meaning from them. You're adopting values and principles of this world that won't pay any eternal dividends, right? It's a terrible investment, right? The message here that Jesus is, is speaking that we're going to receive and take home, all right, is, is to be encouraged to, to be... Uh, stir, steered away from and protected from this shallow spiritual experience, all right? That I think Jesus is, is, is the word today to us is to, meant to protect us from a superficial spiritual life, all right? Uh, we want to be healthy, fit disciples. Mark's a lot about, the gospel of Mark's a lot about discipleship. And to be healthy and fit, right, I've got to learn, number one, first point this morning, that I can't live by bread alone, all right? So let's receive that. You don't live by bread alone. So verse two, look there. Motivated by compassion, read it, Jesus says, he says it, Jesus says this, I have compassion. Like, I don't have to interpret that this morning for you, right? He just says it. I underline that. I have compassion. That's Jesus, you wonder, does Jesus love me? Does he just care? Right? Here's the God man in the flesh. <laughs> does he know? What I'm struggling with, does he know what's going on? Yes, yes, and yes. He says it. You don't have to wonder. I have compassion. Someone with compassion, okay, looks out and sees some needy folk, and he gets concerned. Right? That's what compassionate people do. Agree? Right? And for Jesus here, what is he concerned about? As he's looking out, he's seeing some needy folk. What is he concerned? Verse 3, they're hungry. And his conclusion is that if he doesn't feed them, they'll remain what? Hungry. It's very simple. Here they are again, right? They've been here before. Out in a desolate place, Right? Right, we've talked about the other feedings already. It's like being in Kansas. Okay? No offense. And you are you're going to you know you're driving to Cal trying to get to beautiful state of Colorado, you know, to the Colorado Springs. 
But you have to go through Kansas to get there, right? But you're on, it's 80, right? You're, going, you're on 80. Or 80. I'm, I got, yeah, I'm coming from different directions. <laughs> All right? So you're on, well, I don't even know what the highway is, but you're driving down that long stretch of road that goes all the way through Kansas. And you're going to have to wait. You have to wait until, if you're hungry, right? And I know we just recently made the trip. And we have to wait until you get closer to the Colorado border to get to that nice truck stop with all the food. And it's a good one. It's one of the better ones I've been to. So you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's just, you know, you get hungry. Here's the deal, though. I can drive 80 or, you know, what's the speed limit, 85? 85 miles an hour, right? And I know what the speed limit is. Leave me alone. I can drive 80, right? Now, they're walking, okay? They're walking. And Jesus is concerned. They'll continue to be hungry if he, if Jesus doesn't do anything. And according to the text there in verse 3, there are serious consequences to not being fed by Jesus. Right? And what are they? It says, they will collapse. Verse 4, we see the disciples' response. And we can come back to this idea, hopefully we'll make it. We, we don't feed on Christ. We will collapse. We don't understand what it is to come around and eat here at the Lord's table. And we say, hey, when we get to eat at the Lord's table, like that's the best meal of the week. Okay? You don't need to eat again. And everybody gets confused. What? You want us to fast this whole? Like, no. This is the best meal. Okay? Because of what it points to. Our true spiritual need. Without it, our soul is desolate. We will collapse. You see? We need it. Verse 4, we see the disciples' response. Where can we get enough bread? The disciples forget who fed them yesterday. Right? That just makes me think, man, Lord, forgive me. I forget who fed me yesterday. Hmm. They forget the time he fed 5,000 with five loaves. And you know what? Their question is as reasonable as it is forgetful and faithless. Isn't that something? Their question is so reasonable, but it's also forgetful and faithless. And how I reason the same way, I can reason myself right into forgetfulness of what Christ has done and right into faithlessness as a follower or one that claims to be. Right? What a troubled situation they're in. Disciples forget. And think of all the reasonable questions we have for God. Think of all the reasonable questions you have for God that can just reflect a forgetfulness on your part of what He's done for you. Think of all the reasonable questions that you have for God that can just reflect a faithlessness in what He's promised you. Where can anyone, they said this, this is their question. Where can anyone get bread in this desolate place to feed these people? Jesus again performs a miracle that points to his power and authority. See what he wants to do. 
right here in this text. See what he wants to do with his power and authority. I can tell you I wouldn't have done that with my power and authority. He exercises, what does he do with it? He exercises his attribute of compassion, right? How compassionate it is to feed hungry people so they don't collapse. That is nice, isn't it? That's a very nice thing. But you know what? They will, we will, right? If that's all that's done, we'll be hungry again tomorrow, won't we? Further there, right here in this text, there is a more significant hunger that we need to have met that Jesus is pointing to. There's a growling hunger that if not satisfied, the biggest problem becomes not just the desolate place that we're living in, okay, but the desolate souls in us. Internally, we need to feed. Internally, I need to feed. Humanity was made with a God-sized hole. You've heard that before, right? And you can make fun of it and call it cliche and critique it. But the fact is, it's true. Humanity was made with a God-sized hole. And I can tell you, I've felt that void, that hole. And turning to Jesus, right? And calling out to Jesus after having felt that God-sized hole. Boy, I experienced him ministering to me and filling that hole that no bread could fill, right? Only Jesus. Internally, we need to feed, right? Just look around this week. Look around this week. You can see people are feeding on all sorts of things. And look where it leads them. They are empty. They got nothing. And look the kind of things they do when you got nothing. And you are desperate. Right? Because your soul is desolate. That's the serious trauma. Why does some 18-year-old go on and kill innocent children? Huh? That could have been one of our children, right? His soul was desolate. Why do people kill? Their souls are desolate. Why do people commit suicide? Happens all the time. Their souls are desolate. See, there is a God-sized void. Only he can satisfy. And if you're here this morning trying to have other things say, it will not work, I promise you. Please hear it this morning. Why do people abuse innocent people? Because our souls are desolate. Why do you slander others? Because your soul is desolate. Why do you lust? Because your soul is desolate. Why do you? Fill in the blank. Why do you? Why do I? Because our soul is desolate. Jesus is trying to teach that the real need is not bread in the cabinet. We have a spiritual hunger. And there is no bread in the cabinet that will be able to satisfy that hunger. I'm here to tell you, like... I like good bread, okay? I lo- I'm terrible at low-carb diets because I just see the bread and I go after it and I sneak it, right? It's interesting, you know, you, you're going on at this age, who you, you're, doing the, you're supposed to be doing the diet for yourself, but yeah, I get up in the middle of the night like I've got to sneak to break the diet so my wife won't see me. All right, what's wrong with me, right? Anyway, I like good bread. It's one of my favorite things, Okay? And there are certain types of bread, oh man, it's, warm. it's so satisfying. Like Louise Meadows, she, she makes some good bread. And I love it 
because I get my own loaf sometimes, and right, and I just warm right out of the oven, get on butter. Right? That's all I need, bread and butter. But these moments of pleasure, those moments of pleasure, think of it for a second. What's your moment of pleasure? Because those moments of pleasure can deceive us. I'm not saying we're not supposed to enjoy these, some of these pleasurable things. But those moments of pleasure, that good bread can deceive me. And I want us thinking broadly about bread, okay? Bread can be referred to as money, right? You talk about the bread winner, that's the person that's making the money, okay? So you understand this already. When we talk about bread, we are talking about the material world. We are talking about survival on the one hand. We are talking uh, the more bread you have in this life, what? The better off you are, right? The more bread you have in this life, you know, you feel it. You know, you're tempted by it because the more bread you have in this life, even when you're in a desolate place, it can make the place feel not quite as desolate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but that bread is just buying you a few hours. That's what I want us to hear this morning. You see that? That bread's only buying you a few hours, okay? And then you're going to be hungry again and again and again. We easily become fixated, church, on our immediate bodily needs, fixated on material desires. That is me. I'm on again, off again, on again, off again. I can get done feeding on Christ and spending time with Christ. And then I, I get out and, and, and get on moving down the road and I'm immediately fixated on bodily needs, right? Fixated on material desires. Lord, help us, right? Look how Jesus feeds. People come hungry. Spiritually, I'm talking. Transfer with me to this place. People come hungry. You are hungry. The reason you turn to Christ to begin with is because you are hungry spiritually, emotionally, mentally. You're starving. Right? We are about to collapse. You are hungry. Let's just, that's why we're here. Let's just confess it. I am starving. I'm hungry. I'm about to collapse. But Jesus will feed me so I don't have to collapse. But this is my problem. This is my problem. I feed, I feed, and then I stop. But here's the deal, church. You can't stop. We're never done feeding. In fact, let us take this away with us this morning. You cannot overeat. Now, you hope you followed the illustration. We moved, we moved away from because you, you know the physical. I'm talking you can't overeat spiritually, right? You can't overeat. Boy, if I overate spiritually as much as I do physically I'd be better off how about you right my family would be better off my children would be better off and you the church would be better off spiritually I need to keep coming to Christ spiritually I need to be a glutton and keep drawing on Jesus you know you're always feeding church you're always feeding a spiritual appetite it's just whether you're feeding it something that can actually satisfy, you see? If I stop feeding on the bread of life, which is Christ, then I start feeding on something else which will not be sufficient. And you know it is by his grace. It is by his grace that I, that I come to a realization and he wakes me up when I'm feeding on empty calories. It is by his grace and his, his loving discipline 
that I realize that I'm feeding on something of no nutritional value. Amen? Lord, will you reveal that to us? What is it this morning? What are you feeding on that has no nutritional value? What are you feeding on this morning that's just going to leave you empty? Lord, don't let us walk away from not having heard from you this morning on what it is that we're feeding on that is not of you that's just going to leave us desolate. Help us. I have to sit with him. I have to, or else I won't get it. I won't see clearly, and I won't feed on the right things. I have to sit with him. I have to sit with him. I have to talk to him. I have to seek him. I feed on him how? I feed on him by eating his word. I eat the word how? Church, how do we eat the word? We eat the word by meditating on it, by reading it, by meditating it, by obeying it, by praying it. You see? It's not just one thing. By meditating on it, obeying it, praying it, and asking the Holy Spirit to help illuminate it so we can by faith, walk in it. All these things got to come together in order for him to enable us by faith to practice the word that he feeds us with. This is where life is found, in Christ. You don't live by bread alone. You need the bread of Christ. Let's move to our next point, 11 through 15. Watch out for the leaven that corrupts the batch. Watch out for the leaven that corrupts the batch. Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven that would prove his authority. So they're demanding a sign from heaven that would prove his authority. So this is not necessarily a request for another miracle. In fact, what do we know about these guys? Right? What do we know? If this was just a request for another miracle, what did they just do back? I think it was in chapter 3, right? We talked about this, right? In chapter 3, they accused him when he did a miracle. They accused him of, of working for uh, and have, uh, being of demonic influence and demonic powers, right? And that what they're asking for here is a sign from heaven, not from his own actions, a sign that vouches and proves that God is with him. That's what they're asking for, essentially saying, hey, Jesus, this is what the Pharisees are saying there, Jesus, we want you to give us a sign that proves your source of authority. How are you doing and accomplishing the things that you're, you're going about doing? And, but they, they, they approach this right. They are hostile to Jesus. Their hearts are hostile. And we have seen this hostility. Right? The group had just, in chapter 3, gone uh, as far as to say that his power doesn't come from heaven, but hell, essentially. They saw his miraculous activity as originating from a demonic source. They're, they're host- it's clearly they're hostile. He knows they're hostile, and so we read it, and we know that they're, they're hostile. And their hostility is churned up from... It's churned up in them. What is it churned up? It, see it there. Their hostility is churned up unbelief. Unbelief. And unbelief, it can creep into our life. And unbelief, that can creep into your life. We see, and we'll see that here in a minute. We actually sang about it in one of our songs as well. Verse 12, sighing deeply in his spirit. This grieved Jesus. This sigh might also be frustration. Grief, anger. It says, verse 12, look, 
Jesus said, sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. So we got, we got Satan early on in the gospel. Satan tried to test, tempt, trap Jesus, didn't he? And now you got the Pharisees trying to test, tempt, and trap Jesus. So you're God? That's what they're saying. You ever done this? I bet you know somebody that has. I bet if you're honest, you have. But that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're saying, so you're God? Prove it. Prove it. If you're God, if you've come from God, Jesus, prove it. Prove it to us. Prove it to me. Right? And God has sometimes provided signs. But these types of requests, let us be warned this morning, these types of requests are dangerous at best. Prove yourself to me, God. Think of it. Right? There is no obligation of God for God to do this. And putting God to the test like this is what I would call role reversal, right? As the scripture says there in verse 11, the purpose of their asking was to what? Test him. To test him. How backwards, think of it for a second, how backwards it is for us to ask God to sit for one of our tests, right? Oh, when I was young, I would have loved to, to do that role reversal with my teachers, right? Right? You know what I'm saying? Well, Miss, you know, Miss Anderson, I remember her. Boy, I'd have loved to say, why don't you sit down? I've got a test for you, right? She'd have slapped me. And you're not, you, were, you weren't even supposed to slap back then, right? But she would have done it, right? How messed up it is. Even Ju Jesus, we see, refuses to test God in Matthew 4, 7. When Satan says, what does he say? There in the temptation, Satan is testing Jesus, saying, throw yourself from this high place. And if you are the son of God, he will have his angels catch you, Right? And listen to what Jesus says to Satan. It is also written, and just what they're doing here, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. So interestingly, Jesus quotes scripture to tempt Jesus. Hey, Jesus, the scripture says he'll catch you. Here's what I want us to catch here. Here's what I want us to catch, right? Jesus knows that the scripture says that. Jesus knows that the scripture says he'll catch you, right? Jesus knows the promise. And he is saying, I don't need to test God and make him prove his promises. Can we say that? Can we say that this morning? I don't need to test God to make him prove his promises. Trust, not test. Write that down. Trust, not test. This is key to staying away from the leaven that Jesus is going to talk about here in a minute. Trust, not test. Let's say a few things about that. Trusting is a posture of unbelief and arrogance. Trust is a posture of belief and humility. Let me say that again. Testing is a posture of unbelief and arrogance. I think I said that wrong. Yeah, thank you. I can tell by the looks on some of your faces. I'm just marching along here, getting nervous, start to say things I don't mean. All right. Testing is a posture of unbelief and arrogance. Trust 
is a posture of belief and humility. In testing, we place ourselves over God. And whether I whether we come his way, okay, place ourselves over God, and whether we come his way is conditioned on how well he performs on the test we put to him. You see this? In trust, I place myself under God and submit my way to his. See, in testing, I want him to come into my lane of doing things. You follow? In testing, I want him to come. Get in my lane, Jesus. Take the wheel, but drive it in my lane, right? If he'll come into my lane, I don't have to change my behavior. If he'll come into my lane, I don't have to change my attitude. I don't have to change my understanding. In testing God, I remain in control. We like testing more than we think we do. And we probably do it more than we think we do. Jesus says no sign like this will be given. Trust or faith is required. Release of control, I think, is what he's saying. Release of control is required. And that is hard, isn't it? When a heart is hard and unwilling, no sign will do. That's what Jesus is getting at with these guys. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 37 says, even though Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe him. Jesus, can you imagine? God in the flesh sent from heaven. Manna sent from heaven. If this sign won't convince, what sign will? Right in front of them. There he is standing. Manna from heaven. What sign would do? Compare the Pharisees to Pharaoh. Right? Moses showed sign after sign, after sign, after sign, after sign, after sign to Pharaoh. Right? And Pharaoh's heart just kept getting harder and harder. A generation, a people, a person that doesn't believe, no sign will do. Pharisees here are not looking to have genuine spiritual life from God. That's not why they're talking with Jesus. They are trying to protect their wealth, their power, their success, their privilege. They are going to these bakeries, right? These worldly bakeries, if we can stay on this bread track illustration, okay? They're going to these worldly bakeries to get their spiritual fill. But these bakeries have all kinds of leaven, as we see here in a minute. See, they didn't really want a sign. The sign was standing right in front of them. They were just trying to test and trap. They weren't going to listen no matter what he did. Matthew 16, 4, a parallel passage. He does say there is a sign. The sign of Jonah will be given. What's that reference to? Right? Jonah's in the belly of the whale for three days. Jesus will be given. Right? Jesus will be in the belly of the tomb for three days. The sign of Jonah is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. 
a wicked and adulterous generation won't see it. And look how he leaves them in verse 13. Look how he leaves them. No sign will be given. Then he gets in the boat and it's over. They had identified themselves as those who would not respond. Right? More light, more direction, more guidance. No, they wouldn't respond. They ignore these things and kept trying to put the ball in his court. Right? And we pray sometimes, oh Lord, if you want me to quit sinning, right? Take this desire away. Or, Lord, give me a sign that everything is going to be okay and I'll keep serving you and, and trusting you. And, and we wait and we wait. And, right? We, we're trying to put the ball in his court. And, but I think what we see here is he puts the ball in their court. Clearly so. And he moves on. Verse 14. We now turn to the disciples' unbelief. So they're at risk. That the ones that are on the inside that Jesus has brought inside, the 12, right? You mean they're going to be at risk? Yep. They're at risk at acting like the outsiders, the ones that will not believe. So there the disciples are, 14. They're on the boat, again traveling with Jesus, and they start take, talking amongst themselves. At least this is how I'm imagining it. And we learn what? They forgot can you imagine, though, if we can just stop like that? Oh, man, you are probably kicking yourself, right? Like, like you forgot the bread. I mean, come on. Like, he's given you lots of bread, and you can't even, like, just make... It seems like you'd make sure you'd have bread on you. That, that's not the point here. Actually, Jesus uh, gets on them for, for, for worrying about this, but they forgot to bring the bread. So, so I kind of understand it. I'm like, you know, they've got to be, like, a blame shifting, you know, like, which, oh, Peter, you idiot, oh. right? I don't know, but I assume Jesus knows that they're talking about bread and sees that they forgot it, and as they are there focused on bread, he gives them a stern warning about bread. Strict orders, verse 15, what's it say? Look, follow with me. Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, Okay? This is the leaven of unbelief, the leaven of hypocrisy, right? It just takes a little bit of unbelief, a little bit of hypocrisy. As 1 Corinthians 5, 6 says, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough, right? In the Exodus, the leaven was to be removed from the home, okay, they ate unleavened bread. Leaven was symbolic of sin. A little bit of sin, right? When it's let in, it begins to permeate the entire batch. Lots of different types of leaven. We see here, I think, that it's unbelief and hypocrisy. In fact, if we turn to, you don't have to, but in Matthew 16, 11 and 12, we see the that the, the leaven is the Pharisees' teaching, okay? Luke states clearly in chapter 12, 1, that uh, the Pharisees' leaven is their hypocrisy. But what is the leaven of Herod, though? What's that mean? 
depending on your translation there, or if we turned over to Matthew 16, 6, a parallel uh, passage there, we see the word Sadducees is used in the place of Herod or Herodians. And here's who these guys were. The Herodians were worldly, all right? So it's talking about the leaven of the Herodians. The Herodians were worldly, catered to Herod, accepted the Roman way of life. Man, right there, I'm going, okay, I'm beginning to see where this leaven's going. How is the church at risk, right, for just embracing worldly values and systems, right, accept the Roman way of life, right? As one commentator says, they saw in Herod, hear this, these Herodians saw in Herod and his rule the promised kingdom for the Jewish nation that appealed to them. It's interesting. The leaven that both of these groups shared, they opposed the kingdom of God. The Herodians and the Pharisees had that in common. Opposition to the kingdom of God. Both obsessed with power and control. Both had people eating from their hands. Wealthy, right? Both had sway and influence over the system. Savvy, shrewd, critical. Wow. Man, we as a denomination need to pray. And some of you may not be aware of it, but the Guidestone report that was put out about the SBC and some of the leaders... All right? I believe some of these men started off right. But I can tell you how easy it is to let the leaven in. That's what they did here. They didn't heed the warning. Right? They didn't heed the warning. Here we see also the leaven of legalism. Right, always ready to prosecute somebody for not quite measuring up. Right? And if this attitude is drips into the heart and mind of the disciples, it corrupts the whole batch. It corrupts the gospel of grace, mercy, the gospel of showing no partiality. That's the gospel, right? That everybody's at the same place when we get to the cross. Right? The problem is, I think, sometimes what happens is that we're like, oh, yeah, even within the church, it's like, yeah, we're, we, we, we're all sinners and we're, we're equal here at the cross. But then we, we have all these other ways in which we view and treat people and show partiality. And that is evil and wicked. I think that's part of the leaven Jesus is talking about. And that certainly gets in the way of the message of the cross that we are supposed to be found proclaiming and certainly receiving and proclaiming. So verse 16, we press on here. They can't help themselves. Uh, these disciples, we see there, 16, right? They, it's still, he says this, beware. And they were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. They can't leave it alone, right? How easy it is for us to get fixated on the wrong thing. And, and I just saw myself in this passage so, like too much, to be quite honest. Uh, just fixate, it's so easy to get distracted in this world, in this life. 
It's so easy to fixate on the superficial. It's so easy to uh, fixate on the wrong thing. And by doing so, church, we let the leaven in. We see that these disciples are just as susceptible to the different types of leaven as the Pharisees and these Herodians. But instead, here in our final point, we see they take a different path, verses 17 through 21. They allow the bread of life to question them. Will you allow the bread of life to question you this morning? Will you subject yourself to the questioning of Jesus? Right? Jesus isn't concerned, as we see here in the text, that they didn't plan well. He confronts their spiritual shallowness like a prosecuting attorney. Okay? Look there. It eight questions, depending on how you're counting, in 17 through 20. All these questions expose their spiritual shallowness. Right? They're poor spiritual discernment, their lack of understanding, their hard hearts, their blind eyes, their plugged ears, right? And these things open the floodgates for the leaven of unbelief and hypocrisy. You pretend to have understanding that you don't have. How many Christians, how often are we guilty of that? Maybe you do it to save face. Maybe you do it because you are fooled, actually. You think you have understanding spiritually that you don't have, but you're not walking with Christ. You're not feeding on Christ. How could you have understanding? You ever present like your heart is soft when it's not? You present, right, to those in the Christian community as if you can see and hear, but, but the fixation in your life, the things you fixate on in your life tells us that when it comes to spiritual life in Christ, your eyesight is blurry at best. You can't hear because your soul is always screaming about something or someone else being the problem. At the most basic level, there in verse 16, they're stressing over not having bread is an insult to the one who has twice now miraculously provided them with bread. Can you believe it? Really? Are you like me? Do we, I need to sit with this passage th- th- for a while because I'm just like that. Right? There is this complete disconnect from their situation and who is present with them and what he's done just Not too far in the past, twice. Once again, they aren't living with an understanding of who's in the boat with them. Right? Talk about the storms and other places. They've been in the boat with this guy before, right? And they forget who's in the boat with us. And in the storms of life and the desolate things, situations that we get ourselves in, church, we can forget who's in the boat with us. Jesus is questioning, praise God, if we'll submit ourselves to it and subject ourselves to it. Jesus is questioning this morning, will draw us out of our superficial, materialistically focused spirituality. Get that, all right? We need to be drawn out of our superficial, materialistically focused spirituality. And Jesus appeals with questions to get their minds to think about what's really happening 
What is really going on in my life? What really matters in my life right now? What do I need to be fixating on? What do I need to be focusing on? Because we tend to get fixated on the road. Just, just know, like start your morning out knowing that if you go walking out into your day without setting your eyes on Christ, you will get fixated on things that don't matter. Just know that and say, so Lord, I need to start my day and get fixated on you. And even when I do that, Right, I'm going to have to return throughout the day again and again and again because it is natural for me to focus on the natural. Jesus is calling us this morning to go deep, to go gospel deep. You know, I was reading from a commentator and I, I like the way he said it as he's looking at this passage. He said, some people need extra help, like the man who went to the bank and said he wanted some money. The teller asked him, to make out a check. Okay? You understand what's going on? The teller asked him to make, to, to make out a check. But the man wouldn't do it. So the teller said, Hey, if you won't sign the check, I can't give you the money. So the man went across to another bank where the same conversation took place. But after this exchange, the teller at this other bank reached across the counter, took him by the ears, and banged his head three times on the counter. After which, the man took out a pen and calmly signed a check. The man then returned to the first bank and said, they gave me the money across the street. And, of course, that teller at that other bank is very interested. How did that happen, asked the teller. Well, they explained it to me answered the man. And Jesus now explained it to his disciples, right, by banging their dense noggins against a hail of questions in verse 17 through 20. Why are you talking about having no bread? Bang. Do you still not see or understand? Bang. Are your hearts hardened? Bang. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Bang. And don't you remember? Bang. When I broke the five loaves from the, for the 5,000, how many basketfuls were left? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. Bang, 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 bang. When we submit ourselves to the questioning of the bread of life, when we allow Jesus to confront our current state, we'll be like the blind man here at the end that was healed. As you read there, he came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and brought him out to the village, spitting on his eyes. And laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. And again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently at his sight, and, and the man's sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. When we, church, when we allow leaven in, it disrupts, it distorts, and blinds us from seeing Christ clearly. Right? If you're allowing leaven into your life, that is sin. 
If you're allowing sin in, right? If you, you are fixated on the unspiritual, and we could say that just generally as we move to close here this morning. We could say, generally speaking, leaven is the unspiritual, right? The things not of God and Christ his son. And focusing on the unspiritual has us prioritizing and valuing things that don't matter and can't sustain us. That's what we see. When we subject ourselves to the questioning of the word and Christ, he draws us into gospel deep relationship with him. When I feed on him, it helps me see. When we draw close to Christ, he takes us from being blind to seeing clearly. When I feed on Christ, it helps us, right? When we feed on Christ, it helps us not be dragged down by our sin, by our failures. Are you being dragged down this morning by your sin and by your failures? When you feed on Christ, it, it helps you hear this because the, the disciples were fixated on this. They were fixated on the business of life. They started talking about the bread. That was their business. They were supposed to have the bread and they're fixated on the business of life, right? Feeding on Christ helps us not to be so fixated on the business of this life. The business, we could say, or the irritations. And I can tell you, irritations can be terrible, right? Forgetting the bread can be terrible, okay? It's like having itchy skin. Say, where are you going with this? Well, I'm moving to clothes, all right? It's like having itchy skin. A little itchy skin can consume your life and make for sleepless nights, all right? I don't know what's been going on, but I've had some itchy skin. That's why I'm talking about it, all right? Recently, okay, just stay away. I don't know, all right? And, and it's caused some sleepless nights, right? It can consume your life. And telling someone, like this is what Jesus was saying, so we just don't, I don't want us to, to leave here and having missed this, so I've got to wrap this up in this way, all right? But telling someone to ignore the business of life is like telling them to ignore their itchy skin. It's not pragmatic counsel. And so we dismiss it. You see, we are quick to submit our spiritual life to pragmatism instead of submitting pragmatism to our spiritual life. This allows us to justify not thinking of Christ very much. You see? Well, because I have other business to attend to. <laughs> I, I, I'm too busy this morning to spend time with Jesus. I've missed a few days uh, of talking and praying for my church because I, I'm just, you know, the business of life has grabbed hold and got me fixated and consumed. Right? And we allow ourselves to, to compartmentalize and justify this allows us to complain about all the business irritations of life and, and not for a moment think that we're letting the leaven of unbelief in. And so we ask this morning as we reflect and meditate on this passage, are you consumed? Each one ask. Will each one ask this morning? I don't care how old you are, if you can hear my voice. Well, you ask this morning, are you consumed with the itch? Are you? 
Man, it's hard not to be. Are you consumed with the itch? I think the only way to, to not be consumed is to turn to Christ. Otherwise, it will consume you. You can't overcome it. The irritations of this life, they're too, they're too annoying. They're too frustrating. They're too overwhelming. Say, when we're consumed with that, right, the general bits of leaven mixes in. We can say what we want with our mouths, but when our lives are being consumed by the things of this world, all its troubles, consumed with having good bread to eat, obsessed with the mundane, the shallow, when this is what drives our heart's affection and attention, we're letting the leaven in. And it'll ruin us, right? It'll ruin of course, we don't like to be called hypocrites, but there is an immense amount of hypocrisy in claiming to live and walk with the one that makes us see and hear, yet living as blind guides to the spiritual things of Christ. Like this blind man here at the close, let him teach you, that is, let Jesus teach you how to see this morning. He will give you spiritual understanding and life that satisfies. And notice the stages in which Jesus helps the blind man see. It is the disciples' journey that we've been going through through Mark, and I think it is our journey. Okay? I pray it's our journey where you end up seeing, right? Where maybe along the way things can look a little blurry in life. When your surroundings are desolate and difficult and the business of life is irritating you. But as you draw your attention to Christ, as you, you look to set your, your focus on Jesus Christ, he begins to help you see things clearly. Amen? Allow him to do that. Allow him to do that for you this morning. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask for your help this morning. We desire to go gospel deep, and we know that you're the only one that can take us there. There are lots of irritations in this life, lots of trouble that we will face, that some are facing even now. Some of these trouble and irritations are more difficult than others, but Lord, we are quick to, to focus and approach these issues that come into our lives in a way that keeps us shallow and superficial. And then we never overcome. So God, I just ask right now that you help us like you helped this blind man this morning. That if we're seeing things blurry right now, that you will take us all the way to seeing things clearly. That we will have the fullness of life that you desire us to have. That even when we're in a, a desolate wilderness place that's filled with evil and sin that we've got to avoid and pitfalls that are constantly creeping in on us, God, that, that you will, by the power of your spirit and the direction of your word, that you will enable us to submit to your word and experience the hope and the life of feeding on you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.